If you knew that one third of your supermarket spend was on packaging, would that make reusable packaging more attractive? Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we explore how circular, regenerative and fair solutions are better for people, planet and prosperity. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll hear from entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our monthly edition of Circular Insights. Hello there, it's episode 103, and we're hearing the latest from reusable packaging startup Algramo. Loyal listeners will remember episode 42 from 2020, when we first heard about Algramo. Brian Bauer told us the inspiring story of how Algramo's founder, Jose Manuel Muller, and his brilliant idea for reusable packaging to help what he called the poverty tax paid by people who shopped at convenience stores. Those small local stores sell everyday groceries and household staples, but often in small format packages. That means people often paid around 40% more per gram or per litre for the same product they could buy in a bigger format in a supermarket. In the last couple of years, Algramo has gone from strength to strength and has started a trial in the UK with Lidl, a German international discount retail chain that operates over 11,000 stores across Europe and the United States. Algramo is also working with Nestle, Unilever and Walmart in the USA and launched a user app in 2022. Algramo has also won several big awards, including the most innovative reuse company for consumer packaging goods at the 2022 Reuses Awards. Today, we hear from Chris Baker and Brian Bauer. Chris Baker is the UK country manager at Algramo, and before that, Chris was general manager at Keep Cup, known worldwide for its reusable cups. Chris was a founding member of TerraCycle Europe and has a food industry background in product design, manufacturing and packaging technology. Brian Bauer leads circular economy and institutional partnerships at Algramo and blends his experience in startups and academia, having co-instructed an applied circular economics course at Harvard over several years. Brian focuses on business model innovation to create value, applying his knowledge in sustainability, technology and policy. Brian's proposals have helped helped Algramo win awards, including Top Idea in the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's $1 million Circular Design Challenge, the MIT Solve Circular Economy Challenge, and first place in the National Geographic Ocean Plastic Innovation Challenge. Chris Baker will tell us about the UK trial with Lidl, how customers are reacting to the concept of reusable packaging in a mainstream store, and how Algramo and Lidl are assessing a range of supply chain options for reusables and refills. Brian Bauer will explain what's been happening with Algramo elsewhere in the world. We'll discuss a new project for on-the-go reusable packaging and hear about innovative packaging and dispensers for liquid home care products. 
we'll learn more about what motivates customers to choose reuse and how reuse rates improve as the new concept becomes normalised. We also discuss the potential for gamification and how that could help popularise reuse. So, my thanks to Chris Baker and Brian Bauer for taking the time to share their learnings. And let's jump into the conversation with Brian telling us about a new project with Coca-Cola. Outside of the UK, one project that we have that we're really excited about is a pilot project with Coca-Cola in several high-profile Chilean universities. So what we're doing there is we're creating a system where, where the user gets a reusable mug and it's got a chip on it. So that chip allows the mug to communicate with the IoT connectivity that we integrate into the existing Coca-Cola fountain dispensers. And that enables the machine to unlock a refill and also bill for a refill. So when you do a fill, you're doing two things, three things really. You're obviously doing the fill, you're doing a payment, and then there's like um, a verification of that process happening, which means we can create an impact report off of that happening. And it's really exciting too, because um, for a long time, all the major brands are pretty much, yeah, pretty much all the major brands have made commitments that they will do reuse, but they lumped it together with recycling and then said, we'll have 90% of our packaging or 100% of our packaging either reusable or recyclable by 2030, 2050, whatever. And I didn't really like that. I, I saw that as kind of um, an effective form of greenwashing. If you lump together reuse with with um, recycling, it's two very distinct things and it shouldn't be done that way. But as many people probably realize recently, we've had some major movement with uh, beverage companies, first with Coca-Cola, committing to have 25% of their beverages consumed in reusable packaging by 2030. That's huge. That's the first kind of real commitment towards reuse that's been quantifiable that came out. And then shortly after that, maybe, I don't know, six, um, eight months after that, PepsiCo came out with a similar commitment, but of 20%, so one-fifth of their packaging being reused. So um, we're really excited to have a solution that can can address the on-the-go aspect because the global economy produces about 1 million single-use bottles per minute. Wow. That's of every single day. 365. So think of that volume of plastic. It's a huge impact opportunity by far and away out of any product type in the FMCG space. It's got the hugest potential and opportunity to create a meaningful reduction in how much single use plastic we're putting onto the market. So mm. that's a quick update on, on new and exciting projects that El Gramo's working on in Chile. So just, just to um, understand that a bit better. So it's a reusable cup. Is it is it branded for Coca-Cola or is it a kind of neutral brand? So it's a simple plastic cup. It's double walled, so it keeps the beverage a little bit cooler longer than a single use one would. It's got a screw on top that's airtight so you can, you know, you can have the beverage in it and it won't um, fall over. It's approximately a half liter in size, pretty lightweight. And how it works is it's got the chip in the inside of the cup and then that just like I said, unlocks payment and refill and impact quantification with each refill. Mm. We can literally see exactly when someone bought the product and how many times they have used this reusable cup. And what's really exciting from an um, impact perspective too is that we're moving towards non-concentrate instead of concentrate sales. The single use obviously being non-concentrate, you're moving a lot of water in that system, mm. which means you're you're we're reducing the supply chain weights by about 80% by going to a concentrate model and then completely eliminating the packaging variable out of the equation. 
the single-use packaging, which is a key cost driver as well. If you think mm. about something like Coca-Cola products, the the syrup doesn't cost that much money. It's the packaging that can make up a pretty significant percent of the overall mm. product cost. And, and all the so logistics. So it's really exciting. Yeah, all the logistics. Yeah, not to mention the say. environmental impacts associated with those factors as well. Yeah. So, yeah, the, um, the cup looks really good. So that will talk to, is it a Coca-Cola app? that people use to refill or is that a kind of generic app that other brands could tap into as well? We're using a generic Algramo app currently, but we could potentially co-develop something with a partner in the future. It, it is a pretty early stage pilot project right now. So we're, you know, we're not, we haven't really explored those types of more advanced options, mm -hmm. but that could be something potential for the, for the future. Mm, that sounds interesting. So that's, that's a big step forward, particularly in terms of those, those brands that have, you know, in the in the past been pretty pretty slow, and as you say, um, you know, bundling all sorts of cir circularity and together. So, um, what about the types of product? I think when we spoke a couple of years ago, um, Algramo was mainly focused on things like um, household cleaning, personal care, maybe pet care. What kind of products besides the soft drinks have you expanded into? We haven't really expanded into new products yet. We're currently focused on the same ones as before. Our kind of forte, I would say, is liquid home care products and soon personal care products as well. We do have a little bit of a complication with personal care products in that a lot of our testing happens, testing and product development, research and development happens in Chile. And in Chile, there's um, a law that basically prohibits any personal care from being sold in refill. But that's potentially being changed and we're we've got our fingers crossed that that, that that does happen because then we'll be able to more freely and freely and openly experiment with those types of products as well mm. and again the potential for concentrates and topping up and so on is yeah that's another you know, really... huge opportunity is getting yeah. into concentrates and yeah. some of our brand partners are interested in concentrates yeah chris do you have anything to add yeah so um First of all, yeah, delighted to be here. So, um, but yes, I'm focusing on the UK market. So building on what Brian's been talking about there, on-the-go uh, business is is not it, it's something we're going to consider here in the UK, but really where I've been focused is on in working with the retailers and building on the work that we've been doing with the likes of Walmart in Chile. And the first partner that we've got here in the UK is with, is with Lidl, again in the home care market space but as brian was alluding to it's liquids where we're really where is the focus so we're talking about home care category at the moment there's a range of products that we're considering within that but we're also then already in discussions around uh, expanding that to the personal care category and um, i think it's that liquid dispense particularly in the uk market where we see that we can drive some some really interesting innovation and some really interesting efficiencies um, in terms of sort of what we're offering at the moment, we're working with Lidl. We have a couple of different dispensers that we've been testing. Um, we're, when we've now developed a, a much more compact dispenser. We've also been testing a couple of different types of packaging as well, both rigid packaging and flexible packaging to look into a couple of different uh, options for the consumer. And what kind of um, early feedback are you getting from people in terms of the rigid versus the flexible that that sounds an interesting sort of a b test yes and this it's still ongoing um so the flexible packs have been in the market now since october um now 
one of the main reasons for introducing it is one of the classic challenges that gets thrown at reuse systems, sometimes unquantified, but it's one of the one of the uh, messages I've heard or complaints you could say I've heard in the past is that bringing large bulky reusable containers to store is a barrier for some people. Now, the idea with the flexible pouch is you now have a very lightweight container that um, when, when taken home or when finished, and you could take it home and decant it perhaps into another bottle, you then have a very lightweight container that you can drop back into your reusable shopping bag ready for the next journey so um it's it it eases that pain point if you like for the consumer but also in the the retail supply chain the pouches are very light you can get a huge amount of them on a pallet um, when you're putting them out for replenishment you can get many many more on the shelf so the it's really been designed to to optimize the supply chain to the store but also for the customer afterwards and not to mention as well it's a lot less weight than uh, a bottle so um you're you're not only replacing plastic in this instance by reusing it but you're also using a lot less in the pack format uh customer reaction has been positive so far i mean really um it's early days that we've swapped so a lot of the people who have had the pouch have only ever had the pouch and there was concern that they were going to miss things like the dosing cap for their laundry detergent but we've not we've not asked the question and we've not arbitrarily had anyone come back and and say that that, that is an issue um in one of our stores in february we switched from bottle to pouch and we're going to be surveying them in the next couple of months to find out what feedback specifically they've got around that but early signs are good that people are very happy with the pouch um refill rates have been very similar for both formats so there's also, of course, the option that you could give both, but um, th there's no no issues that have been um, shown by moving to the pouch. Mm. That, yeah, that's interesting. And certainly the um, dispensing um, container is one of my pet hates <laughs> that um, uh, we we mostly buy what used to be a cover, but, the, you know, the kind of um, UK equivalent of a cover. Um, yeah. But for, for but for sportswear, um, you know, only kind of uh, industrial type detergent is is effective, and of course well, every yeah. every bottle comes with you know a big hole in the, you know from a logistics background you look at the design of those bottles, and all the empty space that there must must um, be in every vehicle because of the yeah, weird shape, yeah. and then this hole in the middle and the number of different types of materials. So it winds me up every time I see one. But, but with we... the dosing cap, one of the funny things that I have learned through doing this work is that your average consumer just doesn't doesn't use it anyway. Mm. A lot of people just pour straight into the machine because we have surveyed that, and there's probably an environmental message there because I suspect a lot of people are probably using two, three, four times the amount they need to. Yeah, 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 quite possibly. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the flexible packaging, then, how does that score on recyclability compared to the rigid packaging? Is it just a, a single type of plastic or is it a yeah. bit like, um, you know, the, the sort of uh, food and drink containers that are laminated and therefore difficult to recycle? Um, so this one, you know, being totally transparent, the this one is is a laminate. Um, it's it's got a, a it's a transparent material, but it has got two layers to it. It's not that you can't have a mono material. In fact, at scale, we choose we will have a mono layer material um, at low at the low volumes we're currently operating at. We we couldn't get one that was sufficient. But the idea is to move to a mono layer polyethylene material, which will then be recyclable. Of course, where flexible packs 
can be collected because that's the other challenge around mm. um, flexible packaging recycling systems. And uh, although a number of the retailers now offer take back schemes for flexibles, there is you know this press around that at the moment that sort of um, not all of that is currently getting recycled. Some of that is being stockpiled for future solutions which are being which are being built. But naturally, of course, for us, the focus has to be on reusing the pack. So the other thing that we're measuring right now is we're look, looking at these packs. We're testing them continuously ourselves as well to see how many uses can you get out of it, because that's the key, making sure that the, the, the pack can be reused as many times as possible. Mm. And how does it work from the user perspective? Say um, I'd either, you know, got got fed up with the reuse model or I would decided this particular flexible pack was looking like it was, um, you know, getting a bit battered. Um, what do I do then? How do, do I, is there a drop-off point in the store for me to return that? How does it work with deposits and, and the whole kind of um, um, interaction with, with the customer? Yeah. Well, for the, for the customer, so with, with the system that we've set up, um, specifically with Lidl, on the first purchase, you pay 20 pence for the, for the pack. Um, and the uh, that 20 pence is also there's a 20 pence discount on the product so i should say when you when you refill you're going to save 20p so after your first purchase you're saving 20p every time now if that pouch does if you decide you don't want to take a part in the system anymore or, or the pouch does get damaged or you've decided it's at its end of life if you bring that back to the store most supermarkets now will have a area at the store that you can drop off flexible packaging and as it is a um as as it will be a, a modern material you'll be able to drop it in there otherwise at the moment um if it reached the end of life that would have to be discarded but hopefully that's not going to happen in uh, too often so Mm. So if I try it once and decide it's not for me, then it was cost neutral anyway because I've got the it, it I paid the twenty p deposit and I've got the twenty p discount. But if mm. I carry on, then every time I reuse it, I'm getting a twenty pence discount from the product purchase. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. So um, one of the other things um, that Brian mentioned and which I'm keen to find out more about is the um, new modular dispensing machines um, and the you know the benefits of those because obviously modular modular design is a really key feature of designing <clears throat> products for circular economy so it'd be great to know a bit more about that yes and one of the um, if you're familiar if people are familiar with some of the older machines we do have a <clears throat> excuse me a large standalone machine which fits into the aisle but one of the challenges that's often presented by retailers is that um you know, it's, it's occupying too much space. Now, I would challenge that because I don't know how they 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 come up with the metric of if you display more, you sell more. But um, <clears throat> what we've now come up with is a, a modular system that fits onto the shelf. And by modular, it means that essentially you can choose how many dis dispensing nozzles that you have with it. We currently have it set up with four products. You could just have two, for instance. Um, and then we're also looking at uh, in the future, maybe having up to 12, but one with with one screen um now the way that it works is you still have a, a digital user interface where you can select the product that you want and when you click on that lights will light up above the the correct dispensing area the screen will also indicate where you need to put your product and then you can um you you insert your pouch or your bottle and it clips into the machine and that's really important because it clips in because it gives a clothes a closed seal and 
the closed seal means that there's not going to be any spilling, there's not going to be any mess, but also it opens you up to high speed filling because now it's attached. There's no way the liquid can go anywhere other than straight down into the pouch. And it means that we can speed up the fill time, which is great for convenience too. Um, the, the, I guess one of the limitations of having this, this modular in-shelf system though, is you have now reduced the amount of space inside the equipment for storing your bulk liquid. So there's a couple of different ways around that. Um, one is concentrates. We talked about that earlier. So we can, if we can push more people to go to a concentrate and to dilute at home, you can get a lot of uh, servings inside or dispensers inside the machine itself. Another way would to be to put the bulk underneath. And we're already speaking to shelving manufacturers about, um, you know, the same shelving manufacturers that already supply the, the major retailers about developing shelving that that wheels out and allows you to hide larger bulk containers behind the shelf. So you still have a facing of all the products that you want to show, but it then wheels out and behind you can have larger bulk containers. Or what's really exciting is borrowing technology from existing industries like the beer market, for instance. How do they get liquid from the cellar in a pub through to the aisle and actually taking that liquid from the warehouse to the machine? So there are options as well for that sort of bulk delivery to the aisle, which may challenge some of the traditional thinking, but opens you up to some really massive supply chain efficiencies if you go down that route. Mm, yeah, although the concentrates sound like the biggest overall win don't they for both the the entire supply chain mm. um and of course you know the convenience for the for the consumer you know it's much if if you're not even well i suppose even if you're going shopping in your car every container of laundry liquid and so on that you've got really weighs down your bags doesn't it and um, yeah i think you're absolutely right it's an interesting one though i mentioned earlier that people don't use the dosing cap and I've, there have been trials um, in the UK with concentrates that you that you then um, you add to at home. And, and, and maybe one of the easiest comparisons is sort of concentrate um, juice or squash, right, that you dilute at home. And people still not really understanding what measure to put in. So I think you're absolutely right. But what we're seeing is the consumer behavior there is still just to pour and we've got to figure out how do we get them to dose the right amount one of the things that we're we're developing at the moment with our um, manufacturing partners is to look at we we have in order for the pack to work when you clip that pack in you don't have to take the lid off anymore the it, the lid stays on and it has a valve inside the lid and when you press go nozzle comes down activates that valve and that's when the filling starts we can use that same lid in the home for dosing. So you can clip dispenser attachments into there and by it may be a press fill, it may be a pump. Um, it could be like a sort of traditional washing up liquid where you squeeze, but that's going to help us control the dose. And that will also help us with a move to concentrates because it's going to help people who would otherwise just be pouring um, any old amount into their machine. Mm, yeah, that sounds like a, a really good set of design challenges for, for some, um, you know, red hot <laughs> graduate to kind of come up with the best option for that. Because I guess another there's another option of um, the kind of thing what I'm trying to think what product is like that. There's something that you do where you kind of one one squeeze gives you a, a blob and the blob is a pretty uniform size. Well, I suppose like a, um, a soap uh, you know a hand pump soap dispenser you yeah. know one one pump gives you 
the same, pretty much the same amount each time. So Brian, did you want to come in there? Yeah, I just got a quick comment. I recently got a new washing machine and I noticed on this, there's a little sticker where you put the detergent in. It says, warning, do not put excessive amounts of detergent. It can damage the machine. So what we're talking about is a pretty, it's not just about spending a little bit too much money if you put in too much detergent. It's about potentially damaging your 600 pound washing machine. So I think that's a really critical issue as well. Mm. Just to point that out. Yeah, that's a good point. And that reminds me of uh, a company called Homey, um, which does pay-per-use washing machines. We interviewed them on the podcast, um, I think back in 2019. Um, actually started by one of the current leading thinkers on the circular economy, Professor, Professor Nancy Bocken. And she was getting fed up of not having enough real examples of circular business models. So uh, she and her colleagues at TU Delft started something. So they started this pay-per-use washing machine. And one of the... So it, it, it measures the program that you use as well. So it's looking at, you know, whether you're using a low-energy program, a short program that might use less water. Um, and as part of the control, it encourages you to do a hot wash once a month to keep everything clean inside the washing machine and the market for this was mainly students who you think would already be on a tight budget but what they found was within a month of people having this paper use system they'd all reduced the water energy consumption while washing less frequently with bigger loads and all the rest of it so i think it's it's one thing to sort of have the warning notice but it's another thing to sort of have and maybe the app could do this, you know, if you're monitoring how much you're saving, a bit like the, you know, smart energy meters and so on, people like to know. Um, and that kind of brings us on to something else I wanted to talk about, which which is the gamification um, that you've, you know, we, you've talked about that in the past, um, helping people engage either in, you know, competitions with their social network or, or other ways. So how, how does that work? Okay, well, I'll speak a little bit high level on gamification and some potential opportunities that we can do as an example. Like, um, like I said, potential, we're not actually doing this yet. But as an example, in Chile, we're starting to roll out our beverage on the go system in various universities. So what we can do is do things like send messages to the users and say, like, if X percentage of your school was using this system, we would eliminate the need for X amount of bottles and we can basically put together impact reports to quantify the massive level of impact that we can create as a community if we can get x percentage of the community to use the system x amount of times per month so there's just some really powerful ways to um let the people see and realize and feel that they're in their small little individual effort of refilling this reusable cup one time then many times at a community level can create huge impact. And once again, a core aspect that Algramo does across its systems is every time there's a refill, there's a digital verification and basically record of that refill happening. So that creates that opportunity to create that gamification strategy. And we just have to figure out the optimal ways to, to create those strategies. Mm. And we're it's something we're working on right now. It's not, we, we don't have a formal precise plan worked out exactly how we're doing that but having that digital verification of the refill happening is a core aspect that enables that that opportunity mm. yeah that's interesting and that's 
bringing a book to mind that I read a couple of years ago. Um, I shall look it up and send you a link afterwards and um, probably put it in the the show notes. Um, But yeah, somebody who was talking about gamification and, you know, building, not just building movements, but gamification to encourage more sustainable behaviour and so on. Um, and the ways that they'd experimented with doing that. So excellent. So it'd be interesting to see how that's how that's going to progress. And I'm also keen to understand how the motivations and messages that you and your retail partners are using um, vary across the different income groups, um, because you you're already in some higher income countries like the UK although with a with a kind of no frill supermarket as well as the starting point with you know Jose Manuel Moller in the uh, you know the the um uh, trying to solve the poverty tax for people living around him in in Chile so h- how's that all panning out is it is it a similar message or is it completely different messages to engage people be honest i haven't thought of this question at the like um at the different market segment level, but maybe I'll speak to what we're doing in Chile and then Chris can verify how similar that is to what is going on in the UK. But essentially what we're doing in Chile is just looking at the amount of plastic that is saved, the amount of single use plastic that is avoided from a refill, and then communicating that to the end customer that they've, congratulations, you've done a refill of a three liter Omo bottle. You've saved 135 grams of HDB plastic from going onto the market. And that's that's the kind of the core focus. It's fairly simple, I guess, but that's the core focus we're doing here is basically just um, how much single-use packaging you have avoided. And then, like I said, we have that ability to kind of connect a community and kind of potentially communicate the potential of the system done at a wider scale. And that's something I think we need to move into a little more in the future is trying to figure out how to motivate and get people excited about that potential if we can get a wider movement doing mm. I think that could be could be so powerful, couldn't it? Because one of the reasons that people give for not doing, not changing their habits, is that just what I do won't make enough difference. So being able to see the power of your local community or your town or your university or whatever, and the and the difference that that makes when it's all suddenly scaled up and being you know being able to see how things can grow really quickly could be a massive motivator this isn't something we've done yet at Mm. the universities but i think it's something that could potentially happen if we're successful with our beverage on the go at the universities what's really exciting about beverage on the go is it's a product with a really quick consumption cycle and a very frequent consumption cycle if we're speaking of laundry detergent you know that's got a consumption cycle of i don't know four to eight weeks depending on family size but if we're speaking about beverages there's a lot of students that have a couple a day and it's something also that's very in your face. If you're walking around carrying this mug everywhere, it's it, you're saying like, look at me, this is, this is how I do it. And if we reach critical thresholds where there's a lot of people doing this, there could be cultural tipping points where it starts to become not cool to use the single use. People are like, look at, why are you doing that? You're using that cup for, or that bottle or that, that um, aluminum can for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then it, that, there's in chile as an example we've got really limited recycling i think the household recycling rates are less than two percent 
And with aluminum, I'm not sure why it is, because aluminum is one of the highest value materials in the FMCG sector packaging space. Um, in Chile, there's it's very, very rare that aluminum gets recycled. So if we can get people thinking about kind of um, thinking it's shameful to be single single use when there is this opportunity that's cheaper and more convenient, I think that's a huge, powerful opportunity, especially in a place like a campus where you have um, like a large demographic that's quite similar and likely to be motivated by similar factors and create that kind of collective mentality that that can happen through this type of action. Mm, definitely. That is and, really exciting. And things can change really fast, can't they? I'm thinking back to in the in the UK when we introduced the um, tax on single-use carrier bags in supermarkets and so on. And I remember somebody on the radio a couple of weeks later saying that he'd been using Bags for Life for years, but suddenly the perception when he pitched up at the at the checkout or the, the counter with his reusable bag, instead of people looking at him as if, you know, he was some sort of weird tree hugger, now it was just normal. <laughs> um, and kind of, you know, bring, not bringing your bags... Um, I don't think it's quite reached the stage of, of people looking askance at you that, you know, what what do you mean you've not brought a bag? Um, but it, it quickly, you know, within a few weeks it was normalised. In terms of the reuse rates, particularly in Chile where you've been going for a few a few years and people have had time to get used to the idea and also, as we were just saying, the social norms have changed. What kind of reuse rates are you seeing and has that improved over the last couple of years? So basically in Chile, we've got, there's two different systems we have where we, we can look at our reuse rates. One is Walmart private label products. So they're obviously a kind of a lower entry cost product. And the reuse rate growth on them was on a constant up curve, but the curve was pretty gentle. It took like each month, there was maybe a three or 4%. I'm not actually, I'm not sure exactly on the percentage, but there was a, like a gentle upward curve on the reuse rates. And eventually we got to, I believe we're now a little over 70% on our reuse rates with um, with white label products in, in Chile. And what's interesting with the Unilever, um, basically pilot that happened about a year after the Chilean pilot happened with Walmart or after the Walmart Chile project, about a year later, we did the Walmart or the, pardon me, the Unilever pilot. And the reuse rates grew at almost double the rate that the initial rates grew with the Walmart product. There's many different, we, we could talk about that for a long time and make many different postulations on how and why that happened. But my guesses would be that we created an awareness for the system, an awareness about reusable packaging through the initial pilot with Walmart private label. And that kind of educated the consumers to the opportunity with Unilever products and so basically, a, qu a quick way to summarize it would be that as we've done more products in the future, the reuse rates have increased faster. So that's that's really promising and encouraging to see. But yeah. I'll pass it off to Chris and see what he has to say about that. No, I can build on that and sort of also, you know, going back to where we were just talking about the the, the cost and 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 where where our grammar came from. You know, ultimately, in the UK, we're trying to stay true to that that same that same ideal that we want people to buy the product and not the packaging and therefore the idea that we're we're trying to work towards is that you can buy this product for the same price or perhaps even less 
if this was at scale. And, and the challenge, of course, is we have a single use system that is incredibly efficient, where it's very easy to get your product onto the shelf and creating this circular and refill system is, is more difficult. Now, once we get to scale, I'm confident and having done um, a very in-depth supply chain analysis with our partners, I think we'll, we, we, you can, you can achieve that, you know, you're going to save a lot of money in the supply chain and on, and on packaging. So what we're doing at the moment, or what rather what Lidl are doing at the moment is investing in the system to me, to show that it is price parity on the first purchase and it is cheaper on future purposes. Now, the, the reason I say all of that is, once you overcome that first hurdle, the price, because so often sustainable solutions come at a premium. And of course, right, if you're trying to do something on a small scale, it's going to cost more. But once you've overcome that and it's the same price, people get it in the UK. We're in a situation where they understand that where they can, they need to reduce packaging. And therefore, we haven't we've had really good uptake. Like Brian says, the reuse rates have grown um quicker than we've seen in other markets previously. And that's because there is a fundamental understanding of, of what the system's for and, and why they're doing it. And people want to reduce their packaging. Um, and there's a few other things that sort of play into it as well. Um, this idea of, you, you mentioned the, the reusable carrier bag, right? And now when you go to the till, it's sort of like you're, you're, you're accepted. I look at this, we used to talk about this. I used to, um, work for keep cup and we had reusable coffee cups and we used to talk about influencers and influencers not in the the instagram sense but influencers who influences your ability uh, to purchase or make in this case gives you the permission to use that reusable so we've been doing a lot of working with the store staff directly because they're the ones there on the ground every day and if they can ease the passage for the customer or they can um you know offer it to the customer, highlight it to the customer, basically make the customer feel good about it. And, and even just saying good on you when they come through the checkout, all of that's giving them permission and that positive reinforcement that they're doing a good thing. So that's one, one element. Another element is obviously trying to make it as convenient as possible for them in, and we talked about making it a higher speed process, et cetera, but also it's got to reflect their standard user journey. Loads of investment has gone into making sure the refill, the journey through the retail store is is the correct one. We've run surveys, and sixty nine percent of the refill customers in Lidl have seen the machine and learnt about the machine in the aisle when going to buy their regular detergent. And that's because the machine is right there next to the regular detergent. And you'd be surprised how many times refill systems, when they're tested, are not near the the product that they're there to replace. And even the people that haven't purchased from the machine, because we surveyed people who didn't use it as well, and we did this all using um, the, the Little Plus app, um, even then we found that 58% of people who didn't use it had also seen it. And the reason they hadn't used it wasn't necessarily a technical one. It would have been because um, they prefer powders or they prefer tablets, or maybe they just don't buy their detergent at Little. So um, the, the barrier to entry if you get the system right, you get the cost right, people will use it and they do tend to understand the purpose for the machine. Um, I'm not sure if I, I completely answered the question. I think Brian was asking me about reuse rates. but <laughs> Well, that, that, it was it was very interesting and really plays into the kind of, um, you know, the potential for nudge tactics, doesn't it? Um, particularly for those supermarkets that track your purchases and can, you know, 
either send you a voucher off for the reusable one next time or say, did you know? And I really like the idea of somebody at the, the checkout kind of saying good on you. And, and what we've found is you, the, the permission is right. The amount of times I've stood in an aisle and I'll, and I'll watch somebody looking at the machine and I say, you okay there? And they say, oh, yeah, I just want, I said they won't buy it and, you know, have a go. And it, and then they're straight in there. But it's almost, it, that's why they call it a nudge tactic, right? They just mm. need that that little nudge. Yeah. And the more people that use it, and I think this also speaks to why we're seeing the rates grow in the way that they are. Once you see one of your peers using it and see someone else have a successful experience, you, that's that little nudge. You think, well, if they've done it, then I can do it. Just coming back to the reuse rates to make, make sure I understand it. So um, Brian gave a figure of 70%. So is that, you know, 10 people buy the, um, the first reusable packaging and seven of those will go back and do a refill. What, what does the 70% mean, Brian? I think it's actually 74%. Okay. <laughs> but what that means basically is that for, if there's, for every refill that happens, 74% of the time, or for every fill that happens, 74% of the time, it's a refill. So okay. that that's a, a quick, simple way to explain it. Mm, okay. And when you're saying you see the rates going up, you know, faster in, in some trials than others, how could you can you unpack that a bit? I I can't quite get my head around the the rate going up. Um, well, basically, so we started, so keep in mind what we're doing here in Chile with Walmart, with Walmart chili products. That was the first time that that's been done in a, in a corporate grocery store like that. So it's a completely new concept. And you've got, there's this idea too of the technology adoption curve, where you get like certain parts of the population are categorized as innovators, which is typically seen as 2.5%. So to get a system started and get it getting people to, you know, who are comfortable to use that system and, you know, use it. 2.5% of the population are, are innovators, about 13.5% of early adopters. So that's the segment you're dealing with initially. And then as, as you get that small segment of the market using your system, it kind of opens up the early majority phase, which is 34% of the overall market. So you need to get people to understand and see value in that system to do what you were just talking about, like how people see one person do it and then like, oh, I'm going to try that. That that person's older than I am and I'm not that and he doesn't look like he's great with technology. I'm not afraid to do it now and I'll try that system. Okay. And that's so, a key part of it there, I think. And people just kind of learn culturally over time about this new idea that other companies come onto the market and start doing refill so that can kind of motivate people and make it a little more mainstream mm. and it could to be to do with um with um kind of the socioeconomic elements i i'm not i haven't done deep analysis in, into that in chile but i think a good general theory that would probably be true is people with higher levels of disposable income are more probable to be willing to pay or be willing to invest time in an environmentally sustainable solution and perhaps that's the reason why the Unilever products, which cost probably close to twice as much as the Walmart products on a per liter basis, perhaps that's part of the reason why the consumers are are adopting to the system faster and have a higher reuse rates. But actually with that said though, in the El Gramo 1.0 system where the roots of El Gramo come from, which is 
virtually exclusively low-income marginalized communities in Santiago. We've got a network of about 5,000 stores that sell Agramo products in that network. And the reuse rates in that segment are, I believe, a little over, I think it was 84, 85%. So it's interesting that that our reuse rates are that high in that segment, and it's, it's the most um, socioeconomically marginalized segment of the refill space that we're working with in mm. Santiago. Yeah. But also, too, that's the system that's been in place for the longest. That system goes back to about 2015. So I think that's that's part of it, too. Having your system in place kind of, it slowly evolves and gets better and better. But it, it takes a while at first. Like, I mean, El Gramo 1.0, for a while, the reuse rates were like less than 10%. And I mean, if your business model is predicated on creating impact and this new experience through reusable packaging and you're at less than 10%, you're on the path to going extinct. But we were able to play around with factors and get that rate up to now well over 80%. So, mm. Yeah, that's all really fascinating, isn't it? To think about the different motivations of each of the customer cohorts. Because, you know, the, the Walmart Unilever angle, it could be on the kind of, um, you know, the, the, the type of shopping people are, are doing, whether they're cost conscious or not. Or it could be that, people are choosing Unilever because they believe it's a brand with a purpose or, you know, I don't know. I know Walmart are also starting to um, do lots of things in that space, but it, it could be the kind of, you know, the, the mindset and the eco consciousness of the consumer to begin with um, in terms of the, the brand choice that they're making, you know, who, who knows? So when, when we're talking about the, um, the rate speeding up. You're talking about the speed of them moving up that product adoption curve, kind of you know getting moving beyond your initial two and a half percent of the innovators through to the early majority, and the speed that that happens. Yeah, I would say the speed that that happens, and also the speed that people do their second, third, fourth, fifth refills. So I've mm-hmm. seen a lot of studies looking at like um, many different refill systems across many different product types, globally speaking. And one of the biggest challenges a lot of refill systems face. It's it's not that if you have a promoter there promoting the product, it's not that hard to get someone to buy it once. But what gets where it gets where the rubber meets the road, where it gets way more serious and way more critical, is to have that person bring that packaging back. Especially with a system like El Gramo, where you're bringing that packaging back, where it's a little more complex, where there's a little more behavior change required. That's where the rubber meets the road is getting the consumer to come back or the customer to come back second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time, and get those number of refills in each bottle coming up. One thing to point out too that's really critical and I think um, extra valuable in what El Gramo does is most of the time we're using business as usual packaging. So that essentially means with one refill, the first the first purchase is there's no impact really because it's we, we use the single use bottle. But the second refill you're getting um, a significant environmental benefit. There's a lot of reusable packaging systems that use stainless steel, double-walled, insulated bottles or something, um, or really kind of pack weight material, like um, heavy, lots of material in the packaging. And when you have those types of systems, you might need, I don't know, five, 10, 15 refills to break even environmentally speaking. So Gramo is really impressive in that we're using single-use packaging most often. So we get that really quick environmental ROI with just mm. one refill, which is really critical. Yeah, that's that's really interesting and is well worth companies thinking about when they're looking to move towards a reuse system. Um, because it, you know, it is one of the big dangers, isn't it, that you 
you put something in place that in theory is better but actually ends up causing rebound so excellent thank you thank you for unpacking that brian and are you able to tell it, to say anything about what's next on the horizon for algramo from my end i would say our biggest um aspiration is a scale up of the beverage on the go pilot um moving into other types of beverages potentially into uh, there's pretty much any kind of that's another thing that's really exciting about Algramo too is we like to work with existing technologies existing systems so any kind of existing beverage system that's in place and has a large market segment is ripe for us to disrupt with the system we're doing piloting right now with coca-cola and chile here so i think getting into truly scaling up our beverage on the go system is something that the team in chile is really excited about and I think I'll, I'll let Chris talk about what he sees as kind of the next phase or something really exciting in the context of the UK. So, Chris. Yeah, I think from my perspective, it's really now proving the principles that we've been talking about. So we we've seen that for retail, this can work, but you've got to disrupt that supply chain. And we're working with Lidl and they're the sort of organization that has that. Um, they have the, the power to scale, but also, um, you know, they are. In, in a in sort of a challenger position, they're more of a discounter position in terms of their price. So if they can do it, it really proves the model. So we've been really focusing very heavily on supply chain analysis and really unpacking that all the way through, right from the, the product manufacturer, right to the consumer to understand where are all the efficiencies and where are the where's, where can we unpick that linear single use supply chain and, and bring reuse in. And, and understand those cost efficiencies. So we've done a lot of work on that. We're going to be introducing other products because we've been focusing until now on laundry detergent and fabric conditioner, but we want to see how does this play out for other product categories. Um, and then the other thing is to start testing different types of uh, user demographics as well. So not just in the UK, but in the European market as a whole, is the what we're seeing in Britain the same as uh, other potential markets? And that's, again, where having a partner like Lidl can come into play quite nicely because they are an international retailer. So I think most likely the next market that we're going to test out is the Netherlands. Um, and then we're also beginning to sort of feel out where else we should be looking to to try and build on what we've been doing in the UK. So build on the learnings that we've had, but also to sort of test to make sure that the, the model that we've got, the packaging that we've got, the user system, uh, user interface that we've got plays out the same in, in the different markets. Mm, yeah, fascinating. And I think you're right, the cultures can be so different, even in countries that kind of seem close together, together geographically and so on. Um, you know, there's there's quite a big push in France, isn't there, towards um, repairability and, and reuse and so on. And I think the Netherlands is definitely um, ahead in many areas on unsustainable behavior, as is Sweden. So really looking forward to hearing what happens with those those next phase, the next phase of developments. Yeah, one of the things I'm interested in there as well, though, is some of these markets, sometimes there's a there's a, um, a feeling that they've already got it figured out because they may have such good recycling infrastructure. And sometimes that can be counterintuitive to to reuse as well, because you maybe feel like the problem isn't there. So it's it's not always 
in i feel that it, it's not always as simple as because they've got sustainable behaviors in one way that they're going to immediately adapt to reuse so that will be interesting mm, definitely yeah it's all very complex isn't it the kind of um what what people think is an effective system and then obviously trying to break in and ask people to change their habits is is where it gets really complicated absolutely so excellent thank you brian and thank you chris that was really fascinating and I've learned lots and I, it's kind of uh, unpacked a new level of complexity for me. You know, I know a fair bit about supply chains because I've spent many years of my career in them. But just thinking of all the different permutations of, you know, sending sending bulk kegs and a dispenser system that sits elsewhere in the store or going down the concentrate routes. There's just so many different permutations and trying to work out which is the best way forward is going to be interesting. So thank you very much and good luck with what comes next. Thank, thank you, you so much, Catherine. It was an honour. Great to be back. Brian mentioned the smart aspect of the packaging, enabling the cup in the Coca-Cola trial to interact with the dispenser. That can lead to benefits for the brands, helping track reuse levels and even to provide feedback for users on how their personal reuse, reuse is improving their own footprint. I was fascinated to hear about the motivations of the different demographic groups. Brian told us that the focus for users in Chile was to avoid single-use packaging. And it's easy to imagine how important that would be when public recycling facilities are few and far between. There's lots to unpack about the use of nudge tactics and the concept of permission to do something differently. That's something I'm hoping to cover on a future podcast. The trial with Lidl in the UK sounds very important and goes far beyond understanding customer behaviour and motivations. Chris talked us through a few of the different supply chain options they're considering, covering a range of scenarios including bulk supplies held elsewhere in the store and piped straight through to the dispensing machine, on top of testing how people react to different types of packaging. I was particularly keen on the option for concentrates as this, this could be a game changer, both for the product footprint and the simplified logistics for suppliers and users. It was encouraging to hear about the potential to build gamification into the user app, such as encouraging groups in a university to compete for the best reuse levels and to show users what difference their combined actions are making, say for carbon, packaging reduction and so on. It was also interesting to learn that people's individual reuse increases over time. I guess that's because it becomes a habit and because more people around you might also be reusing. In other words, it becomes normalised. As Brian explained, packaging is a significant proportion of the total product cost for lots of food, drink and other supermarket staples. That means reusable packaging can be a big lever to improve the value for money and help make those products much more affordable. That brings us back to the original aim of Al Gramo's founder when he set out to tackle what he called the poverty tax in grocery shopping. It's a game changer. The more sustainable option can now be cheaper. Finally, I mentioned Homey, which provides paper use washing machines and household appliances. And I interviewed co-founder Professor Nancy Bocken about Homey back in episode 17. I also mentioned a book 
Collaborative Advantage by Paul Skinner. Links for both of those are in the show notes. So that wraps up this episode of the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you so much to our guests, Brian Bauer and Chris Baker of Algramo. And importantly, big thanks to you for listening and helping spread the word on why the future should be circular. You can find out more about Brian, Chris and Algramo and check out the other links we mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. I believe we can all help make the circular economy happen through the choices we make at work and in our everyday lives. Buying pre-used, keeping what we have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. Those choices send strong signals to companies and governments, making it clear we all want a better, circular and regenerative future. We can all help spread the word too. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. Email a screenshot of your review to podcast at rethinkglobal.info and we'll give you a shout out on the show. We've made it easier for you to find episodes on the key circular economy strategies or for a market sector or specific countries. Check out our interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at circulareconomypodcast.com and every episode includes an interview transcript. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, then please check out episode one, episode two and episode 101. You could also buy a copy of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. The book takes you through the concepts and the practicalities with hundreds of real examples from all around the world. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you succeed with circular. You can find information on our talks, workshops, coaching and advice and circular economy resources at rethinkglobal.info or connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.